that is uh, a very simple truth, I think, that a lot of you have probably already realized, and that simple truth is that all of us are building a kingdom. Every single one of us here, regardless of where you work or how long you've worked or where you live, all of us are building a kingdom, every single one of us. We're all engaged in this building project where we're building, we're taking part in some form of a kingdom on this earth. And as we engage in this project, every, every kingdom in a lot of ways looks different, you know, it looks, looks differently. You know, we can kind of symbolize it here with, uh, with, these, with these blocks. We're all engaged through your career, right, through the passions that God has given you through the uh, talents that God has given you, through the finances that God has given you, even your relationships, right? Those are all tools that you use, our possessions, our money, our, our work, our, uh, our, our talents, the, the fun things that we do. They're all part of the building project where we are building a kingdom. And all of us are engaged in the building of that kingdom. One thing I've noticed is that you can spot people's kingdoms pretty easily. You probably know people, maybe in your workplace or people that you're friends with, and as they construct their kingdom, you immediately know within just a few minutes of conversation, with, with just a few minutes of seeing how they handle themselves, you kind of know what their kingdom is all about, right? You know, it, it, you know what they're pursuing in the workplace, you know what's first, you know what's foremost, and you see how they spend their, their, uh, their leisure time. I mean, you know what matters most. And, and at the same time, as you're examining their kingdom, people are also examining yours. And as these kingdoms get built block by block, choice by choice, day by day, week by week, and month after month, and even year after year, the kingdom grows bigger and the kingdom grows wider. And more and more people are exposed to what matters most in our lives. Some of you have been building for a long time not just weeks or months or years, but even decades. Others of you are just getting started building your kingdom, depending on where you are and your stage of life. And the way you build is going to impact other people, your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your friends, your families, your coworkers, your church, the world. One thing I've learned through the years as I've watched and as I've read and studied Scripture is that eventually, over time, no matter how sincere our efforts are how hard we work and no matter how good our structure may look on the outside every kingdom falls except for one and you know the real question for us today is not what does the kingdom that I look that I build look like but whose kingdom is it? You know, in Scripture, we see a lot of pictures of different kingdoms that were in various stages of construction. From the very earliest of time in the Bible, in fact, we read of one particular kingdom that was being built. And the ironic thing about this particular kingdom is that in this instance, in the book of Genesis chapter 11, you can go ahead and turn there, is it wasn't just a kingdom in theory. It wasn't just a kingdom that can only be described in words, but rather it was a kingdom that was being literally built before people's very eyes. And as every single one of us is in the process, you and I included, of building a kingdom, one other thing that I've learned is that when we spend our lives building the wrong kingdom, that is really the quickest path to a wasteful life. 
that if it's true that you are building a kingdom, and you are, right, through your career and through your family and, and the decisions that you make and the way you spend your money, whether you work has everything to do with the kingdom you're building, where you work, uh, how hard you work, how you spend your leisure time, the money that you spend, how you lead your family, who the people are that you spend time with, all those things have a bearing and they're even directed by which kingdom it is that we're building, and if we find ourselves late in life looking back to have engaged in the wrong building project, we will find that there will have been much waste that have, would have taken place in the process. It is imperative, it is so incredibly important that we find ourselves building on the right project and building our lives, the right, building the right kingdom through the lives that God ultimately has given us. Let me just give you a quick little rundown to set the stage for what we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 11. In the first two chapters of Genesis, we really kind of find the definition of life. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we find that life didn't begin with some cosmic explosion. Life didn't begin with a bunch of randomness, as though if you created an explosion, I wish I could do this today, if I could create an explosion in my garage and then when the dust clears, everything's on a shelf, right? That'd be great if it worked that way. It doesn't work that way. For some reason, people think our existence began that way. No, the Bible tells us very, very clearly that uh, in Genesis 1 and 2 that, that, that life began with a creator. God did not have beginning or end. God does not have any start or any finish. God is eternal. And so it's this eternal, personal God who chose to create, and he created life the way we see it today. And Genesis 1 and 2 captures that. You have a track all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. Because it's God who created you specifically for the purpose of his glory. And so God made us. Genesis chapter 3, however, we find this, this turning point. It's a hinge early on. You would think the hinge in the Bible would be in the middle, right? It would just kind of open nice and, nice and clearly. But really the hinge in Scripture is in just the third chapter of that big old book. We find that on that hinge, sin entered God's creation. And ever since sin entered God's creation, everything has been different ever since, right? Creation, Romans says, groans, as in the pains of childbirth, right? Creation is fallen. That's why we have storms that devastate. That's why we have hurricanes that just wipe out communities and, and, and bring an end to people's lives and bring such destruction. It's because it's the effects of sin. And our creation is under the effects of mankind's sin, we as well have funerals and funeral homes and hospitals and, and, and oncology uh, 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 hospitals because of the effects of sin. We have broken families. We make poor decisions. We have consequences. We have uh, a disillusionment. We have brokenness. The list goes on and on because of sin. And sin entered itself into God's creation through the lives of Adam and Eve in just the very first generation. It didn't take long, right? And sparing the details of the story, Adam and Eve, God's creation, had a choice to make because God somehow in the fabric of his creation, he, he created it with a, with a possibility for there to be rebellion. He didn't make us like robots, right? He didn't make us to somehow mechanically uh, love him. He gave us the option of whether we would love him and demonstrate that through our obedience. Adam and Eve chose to rebel. They chose to disobey. Sin entered God's creation and we've been suffering the consequences ever since. In chapter 4 and chapter 5 in the book of Genesis, we see that mankind begins to populate now. The earth is getting more and more populated. People are growing, right? There, there, there are more people that are coming into existence. I mean, Adam and Eve, were, you know, they, they multiplied. Their family grew, and then there were more, and there were more, and there were more. Chapter 4 and 5 reminds us of that. And we see the name after name after name in Genesis 4 and 5 of people who would have children, they would have families, and then they would die. The consequence of sin. 
In chapter 6, we would come to another turning point in Scripture, and that would be the flood that God would send, a worldwide flood. Noah would be the key figure. And in obedience to God's call, Noah would build an ark. He'd never even seen rain before. You know? And he built an ark, and he, and he constructed this thing over a long period of time. And finally, whenever the flood came, God uh, uh, had called Noah and his family, eight of them all total, to enter into the ark. And it would be these eight that would find, in a lot of ways, salvation, right? They would be spared. And they would bring a certain number of animals on with them. And, and it's almost like God, in a way, you know, not, not being disrespectful, but in a way, it kind of like hit the, hit the start over button. You know, it wasn't a total start over because he didn't wipe man off the face of the earth. But, but it would be just Noah's family, eight total, when they would come off of the ark, would step foot into the same creation. Sin would still be in the mix. And yet they would somehow start over. Chapter 9 and chapter 10, we find some theologians would say chronologically come, come later. But the world, the earth would begin to populate again. Mankind would begin to, begin to grow. And it's there that we come to chapter 11, a building project. I think perhaps the first building project maybe that we read in the pages of Scripture. And yet it says a lot about not just the people of this day so long ago, but because it's a true story that captures the heart of man, it's also a story of us. And so let's jump into Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. We're ultimately going to make our way down through verse 9. We'll make a couple of applications, but reminding, right, looking at this passage against the backdrop of the truth that we're all building a kingdom, every one of us, you and me included, and that if we spend our time on the wrong building project, building the wrong kingdom, that is the path to a wasteful life. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Moses would be the one that would write the book of Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes here in verse 1 that the whole earth used the same language and the same words. From that, we can understand that this is not far removed from the days of Noah. Again, in fact, many believe that chronologically, chapter 11 would really come after chapter 8 when Noah would come off the ark and there would be few people on the face of the earth. Uh, mankind would begin to populate again after this somewhat of a start over. And we find here that there was just one universal language, the Bible tells us. That there, there were many people, but they used the same language and they used the same words. It was a very unique time in history. Verse 2 gives us a little bit of a geographical setting. In verse 2 it says, And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now, now this particular area, you may have no idea where Shinar is, right? But this is the land of, of like ancient Babylonia, right? So th this would be the same area where God, in the next chapter, chapter 12, would call Abraham out of. And so this is ancient Babylonia. That's the setting. The time, obviously, is, is just after the time of the flood. Everything that's described here is completely true. And, and now we find that the, the stage is set to see this first building project that reminds us that all of us are building a kingdom. Verse 3 and verse 4. And so it says, they said to one another, that they are those that still remained. They say to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top which will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name and let, uh, otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, this is an interesting, interesting passage here because this tells us three things that were being built here in this building project. Three things specifically. It says that the people that remained after the flood in this particular setting, they had settled in the land of Babylonia, uh, that God had given them a command, and now they're going to begin to build. They're going to build, first of all, a city. They're going to build, second of all, a tower. And they're going to build, third of all, a name for themselves. 
Now, this is interesting because there's a lot between the lines here that we need to be reminded of. First of all, God had told mankind all the way back in chapter 1, he had said to go forth, to multiply, right? Remember that, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, God had given the command to mankind, and subdue it or rule over it. That was his command. Adam and Eve, welcome to life. You're here because of me. I'm creator. I've been here long before you ever came here. I want to be here long after, right? I'm God. I'm eternal. I have given you life, and I'm giving you this command, one amongst many, be fruitful, multiply, uh, scatter in a sense, right? Fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. I put you in a position of authority over this creation to care for it and to tend it and to work it. However, we find here, after the flood takes place, mankind is rebelling against this. Adam and Eve are long gone, right? But yet people are still following after the same path that Adam and Eve would follow. They are beginning now to rebel against God. God had said, fill the earth, scatter. But what are the people saying here in this particular verse, in verse 3? They're saying, no, no, let us build for ourselves a city, right? It doesn't matter what God wants for us. It doesn't matter that his commandment has said to, to, to scatter over the earth and to do it. No, we're going to build ourselves a nice, comfy little city, and it's going to be our city. Look at how many times in this passage it says the word us. They say, let us make bricks. Uh, and, and then ultimately they say, let us build for ourselves a city. Let us make for ourselves a name. Uh, and, and everything is being focused on themselves, Every single thing, every decision is being made in light of the fact that they are building for themselves a kingdom, and God is not a part of that picture. There's not one mention of God in this passage here in regards to their thoughts, their plans, or their intentions. Not one mention of God. Let us build for ourselves a city in direct rebellion against what God had already commanded them to do. Second, they say, and let us build for ourselves a tower. Let's make for ourselves a tower. Now, it doesn't give us a lot of uh, explanation of what that would look like. More than likely, it would look like some of the ancient, perhaps, pyramids, ziggurat, you know, or something that would be built that would have some form of a staircase that would be going up one side of it. it more than likely, it would be something along those lines, we can assume. But they say, let us build for ourselves a tower. And here's the intent, whose top will reach into heaven. Now, this would be a tower made of brick. It would be a tower made of tar, mortar, right? They would construct it with their own hands. I'm sure there was a lot of effort that went into this. I mean, think outside the box here for a second. They probably had teams and rotations, and they had supplies, and they had people that were prepping the supplies. They had people that were actually doing the building project. They probably had folks that were uh, watching the children while the adults could go work. They had people that were shuttling food that were in there. They had all kinds of stuff going. I mean, this was not something, again, think outside the box. This was not a small endeavor. I mean, this was a huge orchestration that was taking place. And the desire of this was so that they could build a tower, read the text, that ultimately would reach up into heaven. More than likely, most people believe because of the word Babel, which we'll get to in just a second, means a gate of the gods, that this would be their attempt to ultimately access their understanding of the gods that they falsely believed existed. The reason we can assume that is because, as we'll see in just a few minutes, God wasn't real pleased with this particular effort. God was not saying, oh, what a wonderful effort. These people want to touch my heart, and they want to try to get closer to me. This is a really good thing. God's response was not that. And so we can assume that in rebellion to God, 
they are now building for themselves not just a city, but they're building for them a religion on their terms to try to access what they falsely believe would be the false gods that existed. And then they would say, and let us make for ourselves a name. No reference to anything for God's glory. No reference to anything about building up the name of God so that the nations, right, so that those in existence would be able to know him and to know him personally. This project was in direct opposition to God. This was not an act of, of, of dependence upon God. This was a project devoid of the presence of God. You know, sometimes we falsely believe and we mistakenly assume that if I mature in my faith, if I mature as a believer, that I'm one, one day I'm going to come to a place where I can stand on my own finally, right? And I'm going to get mature enough and I'm going to be a Christian. When I've been a Christian for five years or may, maybe for you, you say, when I've finally been a Christian for 10 years or when I get old enough, you know, to where I'm, I'm mature in my faith, I'm going to finally be able to stand on my own two feet and I'm finally going to be able to have the confidence that I can live this Christian life the way that I'm supposed to, right, in my own strength. And you know what? That is not God's intent. But rather, the more that we mature in our faith, listen, the more we grow closer to God, the more we understand we have to be dependent upon him. It is not a matter of trying to gain our independence from him, but the more we really genuinely mature in our faith, the more we understand I can't afford to go another day without him. Man, I've got to depend on him. My family is going to be a shambles if I don't look to God for guidance. My career is going to fall apart. My life is going to be an absolute train wreck and a grease fire all mixed in together. My life is, is not going to be worth living if Christ is not the very center. And I'm totally dependent upon him. And the more we mature, the more we understand that. But for these folks, God is not even on the map. Man, he's not anywhere. He's not a blip on the radar at all. He's not even showing up because they are busy building a kingdom. And this is going to be our city. And this is going to be our tower. This is going to be our name that's going to be made great. And it's reflective in a lot of ways of the way we sometimes live our lives. Man, we, we have to keep in mind because we have a tendency to wander that God has created us for obedience, not for rebellion. That God has created us to be submissive to him, submissive to his authority in our lives. Not to where we step outside the boundaries of his authority and live life on our own terms. There are no vacation days in the life of the believer. There are no times where we can say, you know what, I'm going to take today off. I'm going to live life the way that I want to. I'm going to take a season off. It doesn't work that way. But rather, God's desire is that we understand we live life in submission to him. We are created to bring him glory, not our own. And the talents that he's given you and the gifts that he's given you and the finances that he's given you and the resources that he's given you and the personality that he's given you and the family that he's given you and the relationships that he's given you and all those things that he's mixed in to your life, he gives them to you so that you cannot, not for you to build your own kingdom to make your name great, but he gives those things to you and to me so that we can use them to build his kingdom and to make his name great for his glory ultimately. Next verse, verse 5, it's interesting how God's response is to this. You would think that the people here would think God was taking one big nap, right? But God was fully aware of what was taking place. Verse 5, I love this verse. It says, this is God's response. So the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. There's a reason I've highlighted the words come, uh, came down. 
because as lofty as this was, and this was probably a pretty magnificent structure, right? I mean, you're thinking, if you set out in your backyard uh, you know, to say, I want to build a tower to heaven, I mean, I know you. You'd probably do pretty good, right? You'd get higher than your roof, for sure, right? Most of you, I guess. I wouldn't. Uh, I, I, wouldn't I wouldn't get anywhere close to that. But most of you are a lot better than me. So if you're going to build a tower, and if these people are going to put their mind to it, and they have a whole community of people, and they're going to say, we're going to build a tower, we're going to make our name great, and we're going to do this on, on our terms, I mean, you can imagine, this was probably a pretty lofty structure. And yet as big as this thing was, I mean, this is the best they could put to it. Still, the God of the universe, the God, the creator God, still, this is, this is interesting, still had to stoop down <laughs> just to see the magnitude of what they had done, right? How lofty God is. Here's the thing. A lot of times we have this mistaken notion that we bring so much to the table, don't we, right? You know, like for me, I can step away and say, you know what, God? Boy, this world would be a whole lot worse off if I wasn't the one preaching, right? How, how bad of an idea would that be? And we can think ourselves be, to be much greater than we really are. And we begin to pat ourselves on the back. And, you know, how much better off the kingdom of God is because I'm a part of it, right? And I help people and I pray for people. And that's the way we think sometimes. And we never stop to realize, you know what? God was just fine before we were here. He's going to be just fine after our time on this earth is done. We are all replaceable. <laughs> And he is not dependent on us at all. Our every breath is only by his grace because he loves us. God had to stoop down. He still had to come down. It's like he's telling that, you know, the, the angels he created, hey, hey, boys, I'll be back. I got to go down and see what this thing is. Right? I'm going to take a look. I got to inspect it. You know, I can't even see it from up here, but I'm going to go down there and I'm going to take a look at it. So he comes down. He inspects the tower which the sons of men had built, verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all had the same language. This is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Here's a, a neat reference to the Trinity here, right? People tell you the Trinity is not in the Bible. You won't see the word, but you'll see the concept. It's verse 7, Come let us. Who's God talking to? He's talking to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Come let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Let us go down, all right? It's time for us to go, right? God goes down to inspect this alternate rebellious kingdom that is being built against him. And when he goes down, he confuses the language of the people who are there, right? So that it would ultimately frustrate and bring an end to the kingdom building. That was taking place. Now you you say, and I, I don't know, you're saying, oh, that sounds like God's like the big bully, right? I mean, he comes down like he, he got all the blocks up, and he comes in, hey, it's all over, <laughs> you know, messes up the blocks, right? You're thinking th th this doesn't seem like like something God would do. No, it sounds like something completely that God would do. Would it have been better to let him for him just to allow them to continue? I mean, would that have been a better alternative? Oh, just just keep building your kingdom. <laughs> outside of my truth, outside of my word, outside of my presence. Just keep on going because I love you and I don't want to mess up what you're doing. No. Think about it this way. Maybe for you there was a season in your life when you were in full tilt sprint away from God. And it might have been a day, it might have been a weekend, it might have been a business trip. It might have been college, it might have been a season of your life, it might have been a dark period, probably it was. When you said, you know what, God's not on my radar, God does not matter to me, I am building a kingdom because we all are, and this is the one I choose to build. 
God, I will be back after college. I will be back after I'm married. I will be back after my kids come and are grown. I will be back when I am good and ready, but right now I'm going to build my kingdom. And you remember the day when the kingdom fell. Because every kingdom but one falls. And you look back to that day, and as hard as it was, today you thank God. Because when the kingdom you built fell, it turned your attention to the one that never falls or fails. And he brought you home. Or he brought you to him. And you gave your life to Christ. Or you said, you know what, it's time for me to be serious about this relationship with God. And when God tore down the blocks, today you look back and you say, God, thank you. Because that road would have killed me. He comes down, he inspects this alternate kingdom. He confuses their language, verse 8, verse 9. And so the Lord scattered them abroad. Remember, that was the first command to begin with, with Adam and Eve. (laughs) And elsewhere, before we even get to Genesis 11, was to scatter. So God scattered them. What a show of grace this was. He scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, or you may say Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. I don't know how long, again, thinking outside the box, I don't know how long this work site looked this way. Imagine what it looked like. There are buckets overturned, right? There, I don't know if they had shovels or what kind of implementation they may have had, but let's just say for a second it was shovels and axes and you know, all kinds of tool, you know, tools that were there. It just sort of scattered everywhere. I don't know how long that stuff lasted. Bricks, mortar, just an absolute chaotic mess. Because every kingdom other than the kingdom of God ultimately falls. And that was probably a picture of absolute total chaos that was there. And I don't know how long it lasted. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I can imagine in my mind, perhaps it was a generation or two or three and there would be dads bringing their kids or granddads or great-granddads bringing their great-grandkids. And imagine when they would walk past that work site, they would point and they would say, son, grandson, great-grandson, look at this. This is what it looks like when someone builds a kingdom that's not of God. And it doesn't matter if the construction materials are bricks or mortar. It may be a career, or it may be choices on the weekend, or it may be our finances, or it may be just the overall general tone of our life that I am on full speed, full tilt, away from God, and it doesn't matter what he wants for me. This is the kingdom I'm building. Grandson, great-grandson, look, this is what it looks like when a kingdom is built outside of the plains of God. Imagine the testimony that would have been. Imagine how powerful of a visual that would have been for them to be reminded that we were created to obey, not rebel, to submit, not push against, and to bring Him glory, not ourselves. (laughs) You know, there's some other mentions of kingdom in the Scriptures. I'll mention just a few. Look at this one in the book of Matthew. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but look at Matthew chapter 4. New Testament, Jesus is on the earth, God the Son. The enemy comes to tempt him. Notice how he tempts him in this instance, verse 8, Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, and he showed him what? All the kingdoms of the world in in their glory. Most would 
agree that this was in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. It's interesting that this is what the enemy tempted him with. Here are all the kingdoms. And he said, all these things I'll give you, Jesus, if you fall down and worship me. See, there is an enticement to having life on our terms. There is an enticement to building our kingdom the way that we want it to look, to live life the way we want it to look. And the enemy comes and he looks at these genuine, literal kingdoms of the world. and He says, Jesus, all these I will give you if you just forget the kingdom that you're about and begin to work on the one that I would have you to build. Verse 10, and Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Look at just a few verses later, Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice that he doesn't say anything about having life on our terms. He says, no, we have to turn from our own sin. We must repent and we must do that because what? The kingdom of heaven, the one kingdom that never falls, that never fails, that never ends is at hand. Towards the end of Jesus's ministry, we find Matthew yet again in chapter 26 captures a picture of what is taking place. Jesus is with his disciples. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 26. While they're eating, Jesus took some bread. This is the last supper. And after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Right? All 11 of these guys would experience this, but for one. There was one who was not about the Father's kingdom. He was about his own kingdom, and his name was Judas. And he missed it because what? Every kingdom falls except for one. The book of Mark, chapter 8. One of the most sobering reminders for us in Scripture, I believe. Mark, chapter 8, verse 34 through verse 36. Jesus is speaking and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. It's not about your kingdom, but mine. He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to ultimately build his own kingdom on his own terms and to live life by his own, with his own self-created boundaries and independence of God? What does it profit a man to live life as though God doesn't exist and doesn't, do, doesn't have any say in the way we live? What does it profit a man to gain even the whole entire world? And yet, in the process, lose his very soul. We are all building a kingdom. Do not be deceived, you and me as well. Every kingdom built will fall except for one. The question that we have to answer is whose kingdom are we building? Whose kingdom? Are you building? You look at a passage like this, and there are two really prominent implications to me that come out of this. This is not a message 
that I hope you go away and forget. This is, this is not one of those messages where you're going to get three quick keys to have a healthy marriage or you know, four biblical ways to increase your faith. This is not one of those kind of messages. This is one I hope bothers you and bothers me for a while. Two implications and, and I'm done. First one is this. In order for us to live for his kingdom, there are some priorities, some of our own personal priorities that have to be eliminated. There are some things in our lives that we prioritize that really are more about our kingdom and not his. And I don't know what those are for you, and I can't answer what those are, and I can't give you a list. You have to figure that out. But the second implication is not so much about priorities, but rather about our pursuits. And if we're really going to live for the kingdom of God and be about building up his kingdom, there are some pursuits in our lives that have to be converted. Some priorities are going to have to go. They're going to have to be eliminated because they're not a priority to God. But then there are some pursuits that we engage in that are not bad in and of themselves. We just have to convert them. Think about your career as an example for a moment. God doesn't want you just to say, all right, that's it. I'm going to quit my job all for the kingdom of God, right? He's not going to have you to do that. But maybe what you've never thought about is that God has given you that job to build a name for him and has given you that job to help expand his kingdom so that through that vehicle called your career, you can put not just yourself on display, but you can put him on display. And when you cash that paycheck, it's not just for yourself, but it's also to help expand the kingdom of God. Our hobbies, our leisure time, our families, our relationships, our finances, all of that, perhaps God wants us not to do away with it, but all those pursuits, maybe he wants us to convert them and to consider how they can be used to make his name great in this world. You know, it all starts with a relationship with Christ, doesn't it? But even after we give our lives to Jesus, we're not immune. to sometimes picking up the shovel, putting on the gloves, and brick after brick, building up our own kingdom. And forgetting that God gave us life to start with for his glory. God, perhaps for some, the most pressing decision is to choose what to do with Jesus. Knowing the simple truth that Jesus came and he died in our place. And he did that because of his great love for us. But he did it because of our sin. And Lord, through his death and his resurrection, everything has been accomplished, God, for us to have a genuine, authentic relationship with you. And yet, Lord, there are some here today, I would assume, just by the sheer number, that have never made that decision to relinquish the control of their life to the person of Christ, to place their faith in Jesus, to say what he did on the cross was enough, and and to literally ask him to come and to forgive them of their sin and to take over. And some today, Lord, that's the decision that they need to make. It's the biggest decision. It's the only decision that will last forever. God, for others of us, we've made that decision, and yet there are times we have a real tendency to forget that we are here for you. We are here for your good pleasure. We are here to accomplish your work in this world. And God, it's not about our kingdom and about our comfort and about our success that you give us what you give us because you love us and, yes, to bless us, but also ultimately to put you on display. And so, God, help us to really take inventory to determine whose kingdom are we really building Why do we do the things we do? 
And whenever our time is done and we look back, will whatever stands that was related to our lives, will it give you glory or only we ourselves? And so God, whatever decisions we need to make today to get all this sorted out in our lives, help us to do it. Because God, we don't want our our life to be one failed construction project that people point to in the years to come to say, that's how you don't do it. But God, we want to live life that people can look to and can only explain by you and your grace and your power. It doesn't happen by accident. God, may we yield ourselves to you today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.